0: Welcome to the Fem Nation Podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs can rise together. Success comes in many flavors. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm White Dev the down-to-earth chick with a different name entrepreneur and founder of the Female Entrepreneur Movement, our business is dedicated to helping women start and grow their businesses, increasing financial independence. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to the Nation Podcast, guys. I have a wonderful guest today, Dr. Natalie Masson. She's a psychologist who has a had a passion for healthy living since childhood. She has developed expertise in working with the mind-body connection through her private practice as a psychotherapist over the past 18 years. Thank you, Dr. Masson, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. We were already diving in a little bit prior to this, but I want to ask you the question of the hour. How did your entrepreneurial journey begin? So uh, there
1: are so many ways to tell our own story, I think. And it's hard to know when exactly a certain path began because there were probably many seeds being planted and many threads running through from uh, very early on. And uh, as I was thinking about the theme of your podcast, uh, femination, and how these feminine and masculine themes weave through our lives. I thought that may be a way that I can tell my entrepreneurial story because as I look back, I see a lot of threads running through there. So um, it actually takes me all the way back to um, my early family influences. And um, I was one of two daughters. Um, My dad was an electrical engineer and neither of my parents really gave much thought to what are girl things and what are boy things. We were encouraged and supported in doing whatever interested us and they exposed us to the things they were interested in. So with my dad from early on, I was, learning to solder circuits when he would put together, (laughs) he had a Mm -hmm. Heathkit H89 computer kit when I was a very small child. (laughs) It was like first home computer. And I actually helped him build it. You know, would follow little diagrams and solder things together. I thought that was cool. I knew how to use all the different tools in a tool shop. And um, it always bothered me (laughs) when I was in elementary school and teachers would say, I'd like um to get volunteers of a few strong boys to help me with this. And that would just really rile me up because I was, I'm strong. <laughs> I'm a girl, but I'm strong. And I was. I was a right. gymnast. I could do 13 pull-ups when I was seven years old. <laughs> I don't know why I was able to do that. But I had those natural strengths that were uh, often attributed to boys. And so I think I grew up with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of why is this stuff supposed to be for boys and that stuff supposed to be for girls? And um, there may have been times when I found myself trying to prove I could do it as as well as boys, certain boy things. Um, and then there were lots of times where because of my family's attitude, I just never saw the difference between, oh, that's supposed to be a boy thing or a girl thing. So I would just do whatever I was interested in or good at. And I ended up going down the path all the way to engineering school for my first choice when I went to college. And I'd have to say I was doing it looking back because it was something that I felt I was capable of. And in the schools I had gone to, it was seen as the thing that you should do if you're able to do it. It actually Mm -hmm. wasn't what in my heart I was interested in. I did like solving puzzles. But really in my heart, what I loved was helping people. I was the person um, growing up who people like to come and tell their problems to. And I loved to listen to them. I like to think of analogies and metaphors to help them make sense out of it. And it was the human puzzle that was really interesting to me. But I had kind of just by the way the tide was pulling, when it was time to figure out what I was gonna be in life and where I was gonna go to school, I chose electrical engineering. Uh, Because engineering seemed like a smart thing to do. And electrical engineering sounded really hard. And I kind of want to prove I could do the really hard thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I ended up there. But in my heart, I always felt something was out of alignment. And I wasn't loving what I was doing. I had to work really hard to stay awake in class, to make myself go to class. I wasn't passionate about what I was studying. And a couple years in... Uh, To undergraduate, I've opened up the school catalog and looked at psychology major and what would it take to switch over? And it was going to be a lot to switch over. And I thought, well, I should just finish this and see what it's like to get a job. Maybe I won't really hate it when I'm actually working. (laughs) So I finished and I got my first job. And within three months, I said, OK, I'm going to go become a psychologist now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you tried, tried. You tried.
1: <laughs> I gave it the good college try. I'm done. I'm moving on to the next thing. So, oh, I left the part out, the masculine feminine thing. I actually started college on um, an Air Force ROTC scholarship. <laughs>
0: so oh, wow. I started
1: out all in the military path. I like, would talk about all the masculine roles. Okay, I was, was going to be an engineer. I was going to be in the military. Yeah. Every Tuesday I would put on my uniform and tie my hair up and we'd march around. (laughs) It's so funny looking back now because I'm in such a different place now. So I tried all those things on that were actually pretty masculine to start with. And then uh, they didn't fit. And then I started to diverge. Um, And as far as my entrepreneurial journey Finally, I found myself doing what I loved among people who thought about things that I love to think about. And I went through school and got my first job working in a hospital setting. And I realized that um, I tend to look around and see the way that I would like to do things and systems Mm -hmm. where there's bureaucracy and lots of levels of authority uh, were really frustrating to me. So as soon as I could, I Started my own private practice where I could decide how long a session length was going to be. I could decide how I wanted to work with people um, and do it exactly the way I saw fit. And that was where I really felt aligned. So that was my first really kind of branching out on my own. And the other thing that I found myself always gravitating toward is how can this system be better in terms of serving more people for what their needs are? And the individual Mm -hmm. psychotherapy model, I found so limiting because I could only work with one person at one time. And sometimes I just felt like there was this pure magic happening in the room. And there was so much that could be um, offered to more people than just this one person that's sitting with me. I love that I can help one person, but I thought more would be better. And how can I do that? And actually what happened was at that time, I was really experimenting a lot with this mind-body connection that you mentioned at the beginning, learning how we're not just um, talking about our thoughts and feelings, but they're expressed in our bodies and our breathing changes when we're feeling certain things. And we can find a segue to Learning about ourselves and shifting things in ourselves, not just by talking about it, but by listening to our bodies and working through the body. And I was really exploring how to work with the breath. And I was reading, um, Books and going to workshops taught by yoga teachers and people from all different realms to learn about the mind body connection and working through the breath. And I was sharing these tools with my individual psychotherapy clients, teaching them the same things over and over and getting these fantastic results. And I thought, how about we all come together to practice this? It'll be much more efficient. So I uh, went to the yoga studio across the street from my office and asked if I could rent some space. And then I started my first group class teaching breathing practices. It was going really well. And then about three months later, the owner of the studio said, um, I want to give you a heads up. I'm going to be closing the studio in another month or two because I've gotten married and I'm moving on in life. This no longer fits for me. And my entrepreneurial brain (laughs) looked around and said, this is a really beautiful space. It's an up and running business and it's right across from my office. How about maybe my ideas of running group things, having like, I always thought maybe a wellness center, something where people could come not for individual therapy, but to learn all these skills that therapists have to teach, but in a group setting. And maybe we'll just start with this thing that's already a yoga studio and start adding in other things. Wouldn't that be amazing? So Uh (laughs) I came back the next day and said to the owner, you know, if you would rather not close it and rather somebody like step into taking over, I'd consider it by the end of the month, I was holding the key. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That was fast. (laughs) It was really fast. Um, and that's kind of how I've gone about following my intuition and my passions for, you know, how about this idea? Let me try it and see what happens. So Mm -hmm. there I went totally overwhelming myself now owning two businesses, and not knowing anything about running a brick-and-mortar business and marketing and customer service and sales and all those things. (laughs) (laughs) So it was trial by fire. I learned a lot about what I love to do and what I don't love to do and took a lot of lessons with me. It was a two-year span that I owned the studio. Um, And I realized that it wasn't the right business model for me. It was tying me down too much to a bunch of aspects of running a business that were overloading for me. Mm -hmm. So I, and I wanted to start a family. I knew that I had just gotten married and I wanted to hopefully start a family. And I knew that having this kind of business was just too much for me. So I passed that on, uh, to the next bright eyed entrepreneur (laughs) and, um, went back to my, just my private practice, um, had two children and in the process of, Actually, on the way, my way to having my second child, I encountered quite a few difficulties with miscarriages and fertility issues. And I worked through that by bringing in all the mind-body tools that I had been teaching as a psychologist. And that led to me having my second child. And that was when all the bells were going off in my head. Wow, this was such an amazing experience. I had my second child naturally at 46 after two miscarriages by nurturing myself and applying these mind body tools. So I thought um, this could really be something worth passing on to other people. And that Mm -hmm. was where my latest entrepreneurial venture was born is I wanted to pass on what had been so helpful for me in fertility um, to other women who might be interested in this kind of holistic approach. So that was when I started teaching online And seeing just how I could get my message out, not one on one, not within a yoga studio, but to the entire world through the online airwaves. And this is what I've been doing for the last two years. And it's been a really um, incredible journey to discover what it means to step out in that format, um, to show up online, to um, serve people in this way, and to have the opportunity to reach so many people as the. Internet makes possible for us,
0: mm-hmm. which is a huge, huge benefit of our time yeah. to be able to reach the masses and be the change makers that we are called to be for sure. In your journey, how did shifting between um, oh between phases, I would say, how did that shift create the opportunity to learn how to dive deeper into finding kind of your sole purpose? I think that at each
1: stage, I've always, um, I've always just listened inward. I try something, and then I ask myself, "How does this? How does this really resonate for me?" You know, mm-hmm. and and I
0: just keep course correcting, you know. So, which which is a good uh, your uh, terminology is great there. Course correcting. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between that and? Perceived failure for someone that maybe goes checks out one direction, and instead of saying "Oh, I failed at it," saying "Oh, that's not the door for me" or "That's not the direction for me." What is the mm. difference that you found um, between the two? Um, so
1: I could use um, the yoga studio as an example where. I could have framed that in a lot of ways because there were a lot of elements to it. And there were some elements that could have felt like failure. I did not turn it into the thriving business that sustained me the way I thought it would that fit into my life and served in the way that I had envisioned. I never created that wellness center that matched the vision that I was looking for. Um, so I could have, judged it based on how, where it landed compared to my original vision. And I would have concluded that I didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, it was a conscious choice to say, and what did I gain? What did I learn from this? What did I learn about, about business, about myself, about others? What did I learn that I can?" take. And there were times along the way that I would look at how much I was earning, which was not a lot, like, you know, in the early Mm -hmm. days running a business, maybe you're, hopefully you're breaking even. And at some point you're making, you know, a thousand dollars a month and you're going, okay, now we're really smoking here. That's, you know, $12,000 a year, something that nobody can live on. (laughs) And I would Then I would compare it to what I would be earning from my psychotherapy practice. If I had not taken on the yoga studio and I was using all those hours, earning a pretty good uh, hourly rate, and I would say I was absolutely losing, you know, I could say, you know, this yoga studio is costing me tens of thousands of dollars a year. And instead, I actually said, people pay $100,000 to go to business school. I'm getting real live education right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's really kind of how you spin it and recognizing that you can turn any experience into a learning opportunity if you ask yourself, what can I learn from this?
0: Instead of, ex- uh, instead of being so tied to an expectation yeah. of outcome yeah. that really buries the opportunity to grow.
1: Exactly, exactly. And there were so many ways that I grew. There were relationships that I formed that are going to be valuable to me for the rest of my life. Um, there were things I learned about myself and what I'm what I'm good at and what I'm not, what I enjoy and what I don't. And so I take all of those pieces to each next thing. And so as I'm building my online business, I'm thinking back to my prior unpleasant experiences and saying, okay, remember, you don't want to create something that, 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 da." so create something, you know, so all of those, um, failure experiences, if you would call them that become, uh, education for how I want to move forward. So I think with everything in life, even if it's something that I truly regret, you know, and I'm trying to work through the regret, I say, how can I, Use this experience to inform me about how I want to move forward instead of down that path again.
0: Because the chances are you would you would not be able to make the same decision have you had you not had the experiences from prior um, ups or downs left or right whatever it looks like direction that you went through in order to get where you're at today exactly so. and you can read. All kinds
1: of any anything that we learn in life, we could have read in a book <laughs> somewhere, sure, but it doesn't sure. have the same impact as the lived experience of walking right. that path and finding out where it leads, feeling it, experiencing it, you know, experiencing all the consequences mm-hmm. of going down that path. Then you really know what that means.
0: And it's almost ingrained in you at that point mm-hmm. because you lived it. Right. You know, I mean, we often... We retain a lot of what we learn um, on the book level or, you know, the education piece of it, but unless it has a meaningful impact, it's not almost seared into how we make decisions later on down the road, unless we have a reason to connect it. It has to be connectable.
1: Right. Right. And I think it's, sometimes it's just, it gets seared into us. So we intuitively know in the future, you should don't go down that path <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or, we make a choice to really, really conscious. And I think when you talk about conscious and subconscious, it is important, I think, to stay, um, stay conscious and pay attention to what, we, you know, what the lessons have been because there's also that thing where we keep remaking the same mistakes over and over again <laughs> because yes, we're not yes. really aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. So I think it's a combination of having the experiences and paying attention and you know, purposely learning from them so that we can keep. Course correcting. Wouldn't,
0: wouldn't you equate that to um, intentional living as well, though? Because if you're not intentional, you're just going through life, or going through your entrepreneurial journey, or, you know, how. And, and I really want to keep this, you know, I want this related to the entrepreneurial journey, because for women, the entrepreneurial journey is really a part of their life. But um, in moving through that, Though if it's without intention, we're just going through the motions and then that's where we don't learn mm-hmm. necessarily from the components and the pieces that we walk through. Um, but if we're, we have a capacity to um, be intentional with what we're doing, even if we think for certain that this XYZ moment is the right answer at the moment, but we intentionally know why we're making that decision. And then we can course correct later and say, yes, it was for this reason to learn this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for what I thought originally the outcome was meant to be. Um, But that's more of intentional, intentional living, intentional Mm -hmm. existence through life more than anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I find that uh, what really helps me is to regularly revisit what my visions are, what my values are, you know, how those are guiding me and then asking myself how is what i'm doing now lining up with with my visions and w- and my values because it's mm-hmm. easy to get sidetracked with some metrics um, you know certain metrics of growth of the business for example and have that which are necessary yeah like like we want it to be profitable but if profits end <laughs> up you know directly driving everything and that's our only measure of, um, our progress, uh, then we can start discovering that it's not also moving us toward some other measures. Like for me, a big challenge is, uh, setting up my business so that it aligns with my values of spending time with my family and being available to my family. Mm -hmm. I have young kids, they're three and eight. I'm very aware that this time is a blink of an eye and to serve and grow my business requires time. So there's a continual, um, pull between these two values and priorities. So I, it's something I continually come back to as I'm setting my goals and structure for my business. How does this also align with me being present for my family, especially Mm -hmm. during these years? So, because it would be very, uh, easy for me to, uh, just go into business focus mode and set up, set up everything to prioritize that. And then realize that three years have gone by and I kind of missed a chunk of time, you know, being, you know, just trying to get by and make sure I was taking care of everybody's needs, you know, and, and just, um, struggling to make everything fit together. When my value, my vision for myself is that, I want to have a certain amount of ease during this time too. And maybe Mm -hmm. that means scaling back on some of my business goals. I want to have some ease to be able to fully show up with my kids. And Mm -hmm. that's not always, that's not always easy. (laughs) So I need to keep coming back to that vision and saying, well, that's my big picture is a thriving business and a thriving family life? And how can I have these two things come together? And if I don't keep coming back to that vision, I might create something that really doesn't fit. So I think all that course correcting, it's just a process of, I don't know what it's going to look like to fit all that. But if I keep asking myself once a month, I come back and kind of look at where am I going? How are we doing? And are there adjustments that
0: need to be made to veer me down Mm -hmm. that path? And that brings me to something that we kind of started diving into before we started the interview, is that is much more of um, a feminine model that that is individual to the woman. So with this being you know a geared a, a podcast geared towards women and entrepreneurship, it is a different road for every single woman, and that is part of the reason why, is because we have a we have almost dueling dueling purposes in our lives. We have the passion that we want to change the world with something. We have, you know, um, loved ones or a family or relatives or somebody we care about that we're taking care of on the other hand. And that's, that type of entrepreneurship is different than the model that has been, um, for decades, uh, how we, everybody's modeled it after, you know, because it's very, very masculine model, masculine framework. And yet what, what you were just talking about doesn't fit that mold. And I think that's where a lot of women are uncertain or have times or periods of, of time in their business where they wonder if one, they're not cut out for this, or one, it's just not working or they're a failure or all of these things without being able to think through the layers of not failure, but this is just an adjustment moment. Um, But being able to identify that this is really you you as the woman building what that looks like, that entrepreneurial journey looks like and owning that and saying to the world, this is an entrepreneurial journey and it doesn't have to look like that one over there. Right. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I've I've been a fan all along of... Creating my own template from scratch and kind of throwing the other mm-hmm. down on their head. Um, and that happened actually when I was first in private practice as a psychotherapist. You know, I set up my schedule to work four days a week and have a three day weekend. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, why shouldn't I have a three-day weekend? Who says work's supposed to be five days a week? And I was single at the time. I had the opportunity to work as much as I wanted to, but I had other hobbies. I wanted to kind of like have my weekends open so I could travel if I wanted to. And so I was like, no, I just don't work on Fridays. I have a three-day weekend. And other people would look at me like, huh, you can do that? Well, yeah, I work for myself. I can set my hours. And then I decided to take a little further. I said, no, you know what? I'm going to put all my appointments Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I'm going to have a four-day weekend. weekend. (laughs) And other therapists in private practice were looking at me like, what? Can you do that? And certainly it meant that I made less money than if I was working four or five days, but I didn't need more money. And I really enjoyed having the flexibility to have the extra time. And so I just had fun kind of challenging these assumptions of what is a work week supposed to look like when we have the total freedom if you work for yourself? Um, and I'm doing that now with this business, and it's a it's an ongoing challenge, I think, to be aware of what are the templates that are just sort of infused in my mind that I keep trying to adhere to, and what else might there be if I could really depart from that? And one of the Kind of um, I don't know, just the standard assumptions for work and productivity revolves around the forty hour work week. Most jobs are forty hours or more, and then we compare our productivity to somebody who would be working forty hours or more. And if I really look at what do I want for myself and my life at this stage, I really don't want to be working 40 hours. I'd rather be working closer to 15 to 20 hours. And mm-hmm. what does that mean for my business? What does that mean for how much progress that I can make? And um, so I try to throw those templates out and just start with a a plain board, but it's, it's challenging because I have been exposed to all those things. And if I look at... Uh, my peers, people I might compare myself to and see how much progress they're making in their business. And I think, oh, gee, I should be doing that much progress too, but they're working 40 hours a week. Well, that's not really a fair comparison then. Mm-hmm. So I constantly need to um, really watch the comparison tendency. And, you know, what am I comparing for? And how is it serving me to compare these apples and oranges together mm-hmm. so that I can uh, create my own. And, and really what I, I tend to think is if we're going to take on all of the liabilities of being solo, okay, you don't have, uh, a guaranteed income, you don't have a secure anything really, <laughs> but right. if you're going to take on all the downsides of going purely solo, why not take advantage of the upsides? And really structure it in your own form, the way that really matches yourself, because that's what you mm-hmm. have the freedom to do. So if I'm not letting myself be creative and really experiment with what is going to match my unique personality, my values and all of that, then I'm kind of wasting this opportunity as a solo entrepreneur, Uh to step out of those templates.
0: Cause nobody else is my boss telling me how I need to run the business. It's just me. <laughs> well, and, and those templates actually are putting you right back into a nine to five. Yeah. It's, it's, you're creating, you're actually not creating an entrepreneurial lifestyle or um, a journey that is specific and, and unique to yourself, which is the upside. You're not utilizing the, the opportunity to have the upside. You're just creating a job. Exactly because we're putting it back in what the status quo is of what it looks like to be productive, Mm -hmm. because that's the template that we've seen for years. We will, you know, a tendency is to say, this works, this has worked. Let's mimic that. But yet we have the strong pull to do something different and it conflicts. Mm -hmm. It conflicts so many times. And I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of women entrepreneurs, because that's the audience, um, have, have the tendency to not understand that what that confliction is, but that's what it is. We're putting, we're trying to say this template is successful, or this is, this is logical, or this is proven, Mm -hmm. but yet we're being, we feel this internal pull. That's not lining up with that, which brings me to the success piece. That's another piece of it that we has a template Mm -hmm. success looks like multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures, you know, the ones that are crushing launches and, you know, have, you know, 10,000 people in their course. And, you know, and those, those are great. All of those are great. Those are successful, but are we subscribing to that template of success? Because that's what Mm -hmm. we, what we have been told is successful Or are we utilizing the upside of being having the freedom to be in business ourselves and say, no, I choose success to look like this. And maybe it isn't six, seven, eight figures. Maybe it is just a complete different lifestyle that someone's called or feels drawn to, to live. That doesn't have that metric. It's not the same metric, but that doesn't mean they're not successful. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm revisiting
1: for myself all the time, because I think these these templates are in our subconscious mind and we don't even realize that we get pulled in that direction. And the Facebook mm-hmm. ads that come up in our feed are constantly teasing us about the seven figure and the eight figure and the so they're constantly like poking at that template to reactivate it for us. And so that's why I always keep coming back to ask myself, what would success look like for me? And my goal right now in my business is to be able to, replace my husband's income so that he has full freedom because he's a little bit trapped in a corporate job right now. Um, but it is our, it is our sustenance. Um, yes. so I'd like to free him up from that and then be able to, uh, travel for a year as a family and do what they call world homeschool and oh, have fun. my business be streamlined enough that I can maintain it. And the income that I'm making with you know, 15 hours uh, a week of work or so while we travel around. So I could do it from anywhere with a, you know, part-time number of hours and support us while we go and have these adventures. So that's not seven figures or eight figures, but that's also not worth that, that's not value for me. What am I gonna do with seven or eight figures of income? I'll probably just give a lot of it away because I don't need all that. <laughs> but right now, what I'd really <laughs> love is a flexibility to have some amazing adventures as a family. And I'd love to see my husband have some more options so he's not feeling so trapped where he is. And he is a great dad and he loves spending time with the kids. And I would love for him to have more space to be able to express that side of himself. So these are the values that are true for me. And so I keep coming back to how is my business direction actually moving toward that instead of just some, you know, that arbitrary seven figure, eight Mm -hmm. figure template that if I achieved it, I would have arrived at some place that actually doesn't serve me (laughs) because I'd probably be working at least 40 hours a week, I bet. And that just wouldn't line up with where I'm trying to head. So I have to keep coming back, right. and checking that I'm not veering off into some path that is being teased in my Facebook feed,
0: you know. Right, right. And in all honesty, I know many women entrepreneurs that have hit figures that would be deemed successful, and people would tell them, "That's oh, you're so successful," and they're not happy, right? Because they they created something awesome. They are giving value to the world, but they didn't listen to what they wanted to create from the internal perspective and, um, change or pivot their business or shift that moment to what it, what is meaningful for them. And then that's where you see some of them, you, you know, create something huge. And all of a sudden they're no longer in that space. And you are like, wow, what happened mm-hmm. to that person? It's because it, it wasn't aligning. Right. Right. You know, so. It's a fascinating journey, entrepreneurship is, but I think it's even more fascinating for women because there's a whole different component you know, yeah. that we bring to the table with it. And I think that's just, to, just now coming to the surface and the conversation has to be had around it. We have to, because otherwise we're not, we're not breathing right. Exactly. Exactly. So Yeah. And that's, I don't
1: know. It all comes back. I do. You know, it's funny you say it's not breathing right, because that's what it all comes back to for me, you know, literally and figuratively. How does your breath flow when you embody this role, you know, and and you know, when you've hit it, when your breath flows easily and naturally, that's the sign. That's your barometer that you're kind of in alignment and things are flowing. And uh, when you feel that tightness and that restriction or that not in your stomach or something, that that's something's right. out of alignment. And I just use that to keep telling me, OK, something's not something's not quite right. Keep tweaking it. Keep course correcting. You know, this isn't this isn't the right formula yet. And then. Uh, but
0: when you hit it, you know it. You can feel it almost all the way through. Yeah. You're just like, yes, that's that. That's it. But prior to that, you're like, I'm not, I can't quite articulate it or I can't quite say what that is, but I know that I'm driving towards it. Yeah. And I think
1: that's the key is just to um, keep keep driving forward and keep trying different things and keep checking in. And you make mm-hmm. little corrections here and there as you go. And I think we get closer and closer. At least we're enjoying the journey along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the very least, at least that, at least we're not (laughs) feeling stuck in something. Right.
0: How has the entrepreneurial journey changed you as a person though, all of this in and out back and forth and analyzing yourself? Oh goodness. What a great question.
1: Um, most recently, uh, it's been actually super exciting for me because I've, I've never had a shortage of ideas and inspiration Mm -hmm. for what I wanted to get out into the world, what I wanted to share, what I wanted to contribute, never short on ideas, but, uh, I've been short on time, but that's really just, um, that's a detractor. We're all short on time, right? Mm -hmm. What I was really short on was confidence to, really put myself out there and put my message out there and for many years, I was carrying around uh, outlines of my book proposal for my breathing book and I wanted to write this book on breathing that would be for lay people and for psychotherapists to change how we relate to and understand breathing and how we can work with the mind and body together and for a good 10 years, I've been like working that book proposal <laughs> with the vision that one day I would write that best. And uh, I could never get myself organized around making it happen. And then I kind of pivoted. I, I, side, I put that project on the side and really started focusing on the fertility niche. Uh, once I went through my own experiences, because I felt just such a A strong call to get that word out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And the more that I created and tried to grow my business and just really paying attention to where I was growing and where I wasn't, why I was growing or why I wasn't, I realized that the biggest thing standing in my way was my willingness to put myself out there to be On video to go live. Um, You know, we were both in a program uh, on how to grow memberships, where a big basis of it is get on Facebook Live, get on video, get out there and talk to your people. And I found myself um, dancing around that issue to no end. How many ways can I do something other than what they're telling us to do? Because I'm chicken. (laughs) Mm. because I'm scared, because being on video horrifies me, because I have a lot of stage fright, because I'm shy. And Mm. I found myself trying to, you know, just watching my own process. And I was trying to skirt it and find any other way to move my business forward without putting my face out there (laughs) and Mm -hmm. my golly, not going live
0: by any means. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) definitely not doing that. (laughs) I
1: might inch my way up to it over time, but I really just didn't like the idea of it. And at one point I realized that this was my, um, this was my big hurdle. And if I was serious about wanting to get my word out, I had to be able to get up in front of people, you know, get on stages, get on Video, get on live. And so I used my passion for getting my message out to push myself through my own fears. And I have to say that that part of this journey has been incredible because just in the last three to six months, I've pushed myself through those inhibitions and discovered like we do with almost all phobias, it's not the horrible thing we thought it was gonna be. (laughs) The sky doesn't come crashing down on us. We don't experience humiliation and ridicule. Quite the opposite. It's been amazing. You know, I got through the jitters. I started with smaller things like live Zoom calls with a handful of people in my program. And just last week, I was on my YouTube channel live twice and loving it. That was a part that just has floored me as I thought I would muscle my way through and slowly, gradually develop the skills that I needed in order to get my message out. (laughs) But you know what? In just a few months, because I faced the dragon head on, I think, and because I had a purpose behind it. I graduated to not avoiding it, not gritting my teeth through it, but looking forward to it and really feeling present and engaged with my audience on a live YouTube live screen, live stream. And, and it was incredible. And now I feel a natural inclination, a natural calling to say, when when will the next opportunity be that I can meet people in this way? and share my message. And that has been just an incredible transformation, having been petrified, shy, stage fright all my life. (laughs) And Mm -hmm, to just mm -hmm. in a very short period of time, three months, really, three to six months, since I first did my first like Zoom call where I was sweating, you know, <laughs> talking to three people yes. live, you know. <laughs> yes, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I give credit to um, taking advantage of the opportunities as an entrepreneur to step into the things that I was nervous about and to create these opportunities for myself and just go. So, I think for me, that's been that—that's the—that's um, the growth that's been the most uh, exciting for me on this journey. Is that I could knock down some of those scary dragons uh, just mm-hmm. by focusing on my what I'm passionate about, the my purpose, the message that I want to share with people, and getting over myself to push through those fears. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. is there, do you find, or did you find when you went through that, that you became closer connected to your passion and your purpose, um, in going live or do you, is it more of you, um, were you're closer to your passion, your purpose by going live. It's like a chicken. Yeah. I think (laughs) that,
1: I think that I've been close to the passion and the purpose throughout, but over time, I've been refining the message and strengthening my voice. And the biggest change is not having um, my own fears um, blocking that. And that's what was mm-hmm. so frustrating before. You know, when I wanted to write the breathing book, when I had these. Things that I wanted to share, it was very frustrating that I felt like my energy was blocked. I have so much that I want to get out there and transform people's lives with, but it's blocked up inside of me. And I would watch other people who were getting up on stages, other people who were influencing and sharing. And sometimes I felt like I had something also to share. Maybe I had something that I thought was even more beneficial in some cases, but they're out there doing it. And I wasn't doing it. And I'm just sitting there feeling um, blocked from, uh, you know, like a a singer who doesn't sing. (laughs) I just wasn't using my voice. So that was the biggest change, really.
0: What did you find was the energy block? What was blocking that? Oh, let's see. And how did you identify it? How did you, or was it just moving forward towards it or just learning how, you know, how... How do you, because I relate to that. Yeah. I relate to you saying that it's like a singer not singing um, or, you know, like it's an energy block that's almost like, you know, you need to do this, but yet you don't know how to move forward in order to do it. You know, it's
1: interesting, you know, as a psychotherapist who understands fear, anxiety and phobia and knows like all the pathways through it, there are, um, there are lots of approaches and, I, and I'd ask myself, like, do I need to go to therapy about this myself and maybe do some trauma <laughs> processing to address whatever's made me so stage fright all my life? You know, I thought like, maybe I should be, you know, delving into some of these more healing and insight tools for myself. Um, there's also, there, there are many styles of therapeutic intervention and and growth. And one of them is behavioral, which is you just do the thing and you make sure you're not saying negative things to yourself about it while you're doing it. And just through exposure and not having a horrible experience, you get through your fear. And mm-hmm. ultimately, that's the path that I ended up going for myself. There wasn't some, you know, deep insight connection to that time in fourth grade when I got teased, when I, you know, <laughs> got up, <laughs> yes. you know, to sing with the course. Yes um, um, my, my own, you know, the insight came from, you know, what I shared about being in this program where they were telling us, okay, now you're going to go live five times a day on the day that you're closing your program. (laughs) Like, Oh no, I'm not doing that. And just watching my own resistance, just watching the you know, the inconsistency, I paid $2,000 for this program, and I'm not going to do the basic thing that they're saying you need to do to succeed. Like, what am I doing here? I'm just wasting my money. So I had to just look at my own inconsistencies and in how I was carrying out my own, you know, my own process here. And so I just really called myself on, out on it and said, the, the biggest thing that's going to move the needle in my business is getting over my fear of putting myself out there. So I just like looked and I saw it I admitted it to myself and then I looked for options. You stepped into it. Yeah, I stepped into it. So knowing that that was my biggest barrier, it wasn't about creating a better sales funnel. It wasn't about a better sales page. I just Mm -hmm. called it out. It's like, okay, yeah, I need those other things. But the real thing, you know, the 20% that's going to make an 80% of the difference (laughs) is dealing with my own confidence issue. I can't have this huge weak link you know dragging down the whole system this is just not effective so then i just focused on my 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 higher purpose for doing this which was to reach people in a way that was going to move them to grow my business so that i could replace my husband's income and travel with the family yep. focusing on those big reasons why I'm doing this. And then I would, um, I'd kind of sneak up on myself. And, uh, the first time I did a YouTube live, I did it extremely spontaneously. I was five hours from cart closing on one of my launches and I had been getting building up a lot of audience on YouTube. And I knew that if I went live, it might be a way I could let people know that cart's closing because I didn't want people to miss out. And so I just did it completely spontaneously. The kids were playing in the front yard and I told my husband, um, you mind like just keeping them occupied for a half hour? Cause I'm going to go do this thing really quick right here. Just keep the kids yeah. out of my office for half an hour. I ran upstairs and hit live and just start going. <laughs> so I it's kind of funny, you know, that I just sort of set up these things where I would almost trick myself into having to focus on Not the urgency of the moment and start yeah. a, instead of instead yeah. of okay, I'm going to schedule this a week in, ad- in advance and advertise it to everybody, then I have a whole week to freak out about it. <laughs>
0: So, right, <laughs> overanalyze <laughs> <Yeah>. it,
1: overthink <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. So, I kind of set these things up where I had no time to be scared. And actually, it mm. was similar last week. I really didn't have time to be launching a new thing, but I decided that for a number of ways that things lined up, it was going to be now or three months from now. And I didn't want to wait three months. So, I layered on mm. all the stuff, including two. Live streams, which I actually did schedule and let people know about in mm-hmm. advance, but I just really didn't have time to overthink it. Um, I barely wrote an outline and I just hit go. And it was, I realized that I knew what I wanted to say. I've been working on this stuff for a long <laughs> time. It's like I have a voice. Just I didn't open my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I just had to
0: like push myself it, out there. Did it flow easier? I mean, did, was it easier than you thought it would have been if you would have overanalyzed so it? So much easier.
1: You know, and actually, you know, one of the other things that helped me get to this point was I did do it stepwise. I didn't just jump off into the deep end right away. Right. I did, like I said, the smaller live Zoom calls where I was doing small group coaching. And then I also did a lot of um, scripted videos my YouTube channel where I would actually um, write out the script and use a, um, a teleprompter. And then when I edited mm-hmm. my videos, I started seeing like, oh, I don't sound bad. Hey, I actually sound, you know, I'm making sense. I, I'm coherent. It sounds professional. And the more that I did it and got the feedback, the more my confidence grew. And eventually I was able to speak without a script on my recorded videos. And so I did kind of go stepwise, you know, to scripted video, your yes, your step yeah, steps your for step. me. Like what what's the next that thing doing? that I could tolerate doing <laughs> so <laughs> that it was, you know, uh, and a lot of it, honestly, it's kind of a, a messy way to do things was just, um, setting up situations where I had to do it. So I would tell my audience that had signed up for my program, I'm going to get these three videos out to you so you can do these meditation practices. And then I'd have to do it. (laughs) And I didn't have time to really script everything and do it all perfectly. So a lot of it was, um, making promises that forced me to hurry up and get it done. So I didn't have time to be perfectionistic and to rehearse everything. Or overthink. Yeah. So (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) messy. But Mm -hmm. hey, it worked. So now I can get on video. I can get on video live. Who knows? I might be able to step up on a stage and have fun with that. And ultimately, that's my, my goal is not to be somebody who gets on stages all the time, but to be somebody who could if I had the opportunity Mm. and would look forward to it. Like if somebody came up to me and said, we'd like you to do a TED Talk, would you do it? Mm -hmm. Six months ago, I would have said, that's not a good idea. (laughs) That's not going to go over well. It's a good idea, but it won't go over well. So I better not do it. I would have to prepare for a year before I did that. I'd like to be able to get to a point within my own confidence and my own abilities that I would say, absolutely, I would love to do that and be able to pull it off. So I've enjoyed the opportunities as an entrepreneur to set these goals for myself and then set up little challenges along the way that help me move toward that.
0: Right. Right. So what, what do you focus? What is your passion? Tell us about
1: that. Oh gosh. What is my passion in your business? Yeah. What do you do? I love to see people turn the corner in their relationship to what's creating stress in their lives and within themselves. And, you know, right now I'm in the fertility niche where um, women have come to me because they've been wanting to get pregnant. It's something that's not under their control. And by the time they find me, they're. Highly stressed out about this, and it's stealing their joy in life. It's not something that it just bums you out when you think about it. It's one of those things that kind of hangs over your head like a cloud and infiltrates everything. And some people have been on this path for uh, months or years, and there's Mm. just this cloud of heaviness hanging over everything. And obviously, I'm hoping that through their, um, through following my guidance that will support their fertility and they'll get pregnant and have the family of their dreams. But the higher priority for me is for them to be able to reclaim their joy and their sense of empowerment, no matter what happens. So that we're not dependent on this mother nature miracle coming together for mm-hmm. them to be able to embrace their lives right now. and. What I'm passionate about is seeing people be able to make that shift in a relatively short period of time. And I've been creating these um, meditation practices and a seven day challenge. I've got one running right now where they, um, a group of women comes in together who are on this path and they do daily 15 minute meditations. And it's, just incredibly exciting to me when we start this, it's my second time running this now and I see their comments. They comment after they do the practice and just seeing it's like, I don't literally see it cause I'm reading their comments, but I feel like I'm seeing their eyes light up. I feel like I'm seeing mm-hmm. their hearts light up for the first time in a long time where they realize that I don't have to be a prisoner to this struggle that I'm having. And I can start, feeling better now even though my fertility situation hasn't changed i can feel i can feel peace in this moment i can feel hopeful about the future i can enjoy my partnership so i think that's what i'm most passionate about is helping people see that inner peace is not 3 years of psychotherapy away it's something mm. that when you when you approach it skillfully when you have the right kind of tools you can find your way to that inner shift um, quite readily and that's been super exciting to me and that's really what pushes me forward it's like wow if I'm creating tools that can help people this way I really want to get the message out because people are suffering so much and they don't have an idea that there's another pathway So, you know, I'm not just doing this infertility. I do have um, some of my breathing practices that I had developed years ago on another YouTube channel. And I'm not promoting that at all because I can only promote one business at a time, but I just have that stuff out there. And I get so excited when some random person in the world found my, you know, how to slow down your breathing meditation on my YouTube channel and they post and they say, oh my gosh, I've struggled with hyperventilation all my life. I did this meditation and I instantly feel better. I can't believe it. You know, wow. I'm seeing results like this that people are posting and that, that's my passion, you know? So I've got these tools to share with the world. And, you know, all those years I've been developing them and sharing them one-on-one, you know, 15 people a week. And now thanks to the internet, I can put stuff out there and thousands of people can find it, you know, and, and as I learn to market and, and grow and get more exposure, I am just so thrilled to know that people will be able to access these tools. A lot of the stuff, like the stuff I put on YouTube, people can access it for free and get amazing results. Um, just by following along, so I don't know, there's a lot of things I'm passionate about.
0: <laughs> I could go on and on. But for the entrepreneurial <laughs> journey, this moment in time, let's just timestamp this one just today, just today.) <laughs> um, Natalie, it's been wonderful having a conversation with you and kind of picking your brain and looking inside to see what does that look like for you, and what does that sound like for women, you know, and the changes that you're making are huge big because there is a different way. The struggle bus doesn't have to be the only route. Yeah. We can actually, we can choose to do it. It's finding what works for us and you offer that, that guidance. So thank you. Thanks for coming on and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for having me
1: and great thought
0: provoking questions. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about. That's well, it makes it fun. So yeah. Guys, check out where to find Dr. Natalie Masson, and she's going to share all those details. We'll have them in the show notes for you so they can hyperlink and find where to have a conversation with her, no matter where you are in your stage of your entrepreneurial journey or your life. I guarantee there's something out there she has that can help you along. So thank you, Dr. Masson, for being here today. And as always, guys, keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to the fin Nation podcast. Be sure to check out our show notes for more details from the episode. If you love the show, share it with a friend or drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you over at whitedoveganon.com or find me on social media. Until next time, keep moving forward.